Please take your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter 2. We've been talking about living a life of submission. and Last week we began looking at this portion of 1 Peter 2 where Peter talks about submission here. He introduces the, the subject, the topic of submission. And this theme of submission runs all the way through chapter 3 and verse 6. And so over the next few weeks, maybe many weeks, we're going to be spending some time around this theme of submission. Peter begins talking about submission, though, here in chapter 2 and verse 13, and the specific context here is submission to the governing authorities, submission to the government. So I'll begin by reading our passage for us, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Follow along as I read our passage for us. Peter says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondslaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the King. Now, as we began looking at submission to the governing authorities last week, we saw there in verses 13 and 14 the command for submission. The command for submission. We see there in verse 13 where Peter says, submit yourselves. And we noted that this is a voluntary submission. It's a voluntary act of submission that we're to have to the government that God has ordained over us. We do it with a willing spirit. This is a determined choice on our part that we will determine in our own hearts, not begrudgingly or with disdain, but we will submit to the governing authorities who are over us. Why do we do this? We do this because this is what God has commanded us to do. Therefore, we obey Him in this command. And then we saw the motivation for submission in verse 13, where Peter says, it's for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Our motivation for submission comes from our desire to honor the Lord. We're to do all things for His glory. We're to do all things for His honor. As Christ is our ultimate King. And that's who... The Apostle Peter is writing about here. That's who he's referring to here, where he says, for the Lord's sake. The Lord there is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our ultimate king. And therefore, in this motivation, we also saw the exception then to disobeying the government. Or the exception to obeying them. And when we are called to disobey the government. Anytime the government tells us to do something that goes against God's command, we obey God rather than men. But even in that disobedience, we are still to have an attitude of submission. And we bear the consequences that come with that decision to disobey the government and obey God. We bear those consequences. And so, that is the command and the motivation for submission. And now this morning, we continue in this passage here, and we come to our third point, point number three, and we see here in verse 15, the reason for submission. The reason for submission. Notice what Peter says there in verse 15. He says, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. There's a story that is told about an author who was commissioned by the communist government in China to write a biography of the famous missionary Hudson Taylor. 
And his purpose in writing this, what he was commissioned to do, was to distort the facts about Hudson Taylor and present him in a bad light. They wanted to discredit his name. And ultimately, they wanted to discredit the gospel that Hudson Taylor preached. As the author was doing his research, he was increasingly impressed by Taylor's character and godly life. And he found it extremely difficult to carry out his assigned task with a clear conscience. Eventually, at the risk of losing his life, he stopped his writing, he renounced his atheism, and he gave his life to Christ. What happened to this man? What happened to this author? Well, although he began his task with the purpose of lying about Hudson Taylor in order to discredit the gospel that Taylor had preached, He was silenced by the godly life that Hudson Taylor lived. In fact, isn't that what Peter was referring to back in verse 12? Notice what he says back in verse 12 there. He says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, that is the unbelievers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation what happened to that author he starts off with the intentions of slandering Hudson Taylor but he actually ended up glorifying God why because he was saved he was saved and Peter is now addressing this same excellent behavior here in verse 15 but specifically in reference to obeying the government That is, you are to act out with excellent behavior toward the governing authorities. Notice we see here at the beginning of verse 15 this word for. That word for there is a a term of explanation. Peter's now giving us the reason for submission to the government that he just told us about back up in verse 13. What is that reason? We submit to the governing authorities because that good conduct will shut the mouths of those who attack the gospel. We submit to the governing authorities because our good deeds, our excellent behavior, will shut the mouths of those who attack the gospel that we believe. Now, notice Peter says here, for such is the will of God. For such is the will of God. And we would ask, well, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? You ever ask that question? You ever ask that question? What is God's will for my life? Well, listen up, because Peter tells us right here what God's will is for you. What is God's will? That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, does that mean that submission to the government is not God's will for me? No. In fact, submission to the government is tied into God's will for you because that doing right that Peter talks about here in verse 15, that doing right happens as you submit to the government. Wayne Grudem says it this way. Since this sentence, verse 15, is the reason for verses 13 and 14, the specific kind of doing right Peter has in mind is submission to human authorities. Such a submission to authority will ultimately be used by God to silence slander. So we could say it this way. What is the will of God? The will of God is that by humbly submitting and being a lawful citizen, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. In fact, we could say it this way. What is God's will for you? 
submit to the government and do right. Submit to the government and do right. In fact, isn't that what we read in Titus 3.1 this morning? Where the Apostle Paul says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Be ready for every good deed. Be ready to work out an excellent behavior. Submit to rulers and authorities. Be obedient to those authorities. And be ready for every good deed. Why? Well, because Peter tells us that is God's will for you. Pretty simple, huh? It's pretty simple. See, sometimes we complicate God's will by seeking all kinds of other things. School, a a career, a, a spouse on and on and and we ask I wonder if I'm living in God's will for my life is this God's will for me well if if you're submitting to the government and living as a lawful citizen that is one aspect of you living in God's will you are then living in the will of God for you Obviously, there are other aspects that we see in Scripture, like sanctification. That is also God's will for you, that you would be sanctified, that you would grow. And sometimes God's will is even suffering, as we're going to see in chapter 3. Sometimes that is God's will for our lives. But a part of living in the will of God is submitting to the government and obeying the law. Now, notice that Peter says that by doing right, you may silence these unbelievers. That word there, silence, means to tie shut or to muzzle, to put a muzzle on them. It's the idea of stopping someone's mouth so that that person is incapable of giving a response. In fact, our Savior did this. In his teaching over in Matthew 22, when the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection came to question Jesus about the resurrection, Jesus answered them. And after he answers them, it says in Matthew 22, 34, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. He silenced them. And that silence there meant that the Sadducees, who were objecting to Jesus' teaching, were unable to say anything further. Their mouth was shut. It's as if Christ, by his teaching, put a muzzle on their mouth. They couldn't speak anymore. They were silenced, incapable of a response. And what Peter is saying is, That that is what our good deeds will do when the unbelievers slander us for the gospel. Christ's teaching slandered those who were slandering him, but our good deeds will silence those who slander us. Now remember, Peter has already told us that we will be slandered back up in verse 12. He says, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. What's he saying there? He says, just get ready, church, because you will be slandered as evildoers. If you go in this world and you go and live for Christ, just get ready. It's coming. They will slander you. In other words, unbelievers will make claims against us that we are evil and morally bankrupt. They will lie. They will try and make things up about us. And as I said before, the Jews even did this to Christ. We see this in John 18.30. They even did this to our Savior who was sinless, perfect, They accused him of doing evil. Those who were persecuting Christ did it to him. Then the unbelievers who desire to persecute us will do it to us as well. 
In fact, that is what the government of China tried to do with Hudson Taylor even after his death. The guy was already dead. What did they try to do? They wanted to slander him by making things up about him and trying to portray him in a bad light. But what was it that silenced them? It was his good deeds. His good deeds, his excellent behavior. So much so that the man who was tasked to slander Hudson Taylor was actually saved. Not only was he silenced, but then he was saved as he studied the life of Hudson Taylor. It was his good deeds, his excellent behavior that silenced them. Now notice that Peter says at the end of verse 15, he says there the ignorance of foolish men. That we will silence the ignorance of foolish men. What, what does he mean by this? By this ignorance here? He's not talking about their intellect here when he talks about their ignorance. Peter is not saying here that they just lack some kind of knowledge. It's not what he's saying here. The Greek word that Peter uses here is the word agnosia. And that speaks to a hostile rejection of the truth. They're ignorant because there's a hostile rejection of the truth. In fact, Paul uses this word over in 1 Corinthians 15.34 where he says, Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. Some have no knowledge of Him. It's the same word that he uses there, agnosia. There's a, a hostile rejection of the truth of God and His word. So when Peter uses this word ignorance here, he's, he's speaking about a lack of knowledge of the truth of the things of God. In fact, one commentator says it this way, it implies a failure to know in the sense of a disobedient closing of the mind to the revealed word of God. That's their ignorance. They have closed their mind to the revealed word of God. They're hostile towards it. They reject it. They don't want to hear what God has to say as God speaks the truth. They are ignorant spiritually and they don't want to know the things of God. And that ignorance then manifests itself in their vocal opposition to these Christians and the Christian faith which we see in our day today, right? Those that are ignorant, that are hostile to the word of God, how do they show that? They vocalize that. And that's what Peter's talking about here. They have no knowledge of God. In fact, they don't even desire to have the knowledge of God. They're against God. And they don't understand why you and I would ever submit to God and His Word. It doesn't compute in their mind. They don't get it. They would look at us and they would go, what's wrong with you people? Why would you submit to Him? You people are weird. You come and do this Christian thing and you have this book that you all submit to and you read out loud to each other and then you sing about it. And you sing about the God who wrote that book and they don't get it. Why? Because they're ignorant. Because they're hostile to the word of God and the truth that's revealed. We know people who are like this. They just hate all things Christian. They look at us as, as those who love and forgive and care for others and submit to the authorities that God has established over us. We do it with joy. We do it with willingness, desiring not to please ourselves, but to, to please God. And we continue to live a joyous life, and they can't stand it. Why? 
In fact, it makes me think of Acts chapter 5 and verse 40 with the apostles before the council of the Sanhedrin. Luke tells us in Acts 5.40, they, that is the Sanhedrin, took his, that is Gamaliel's advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. They bring the apostles in, they flog them, beat them, and then tell them, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And then they released them. Luke then goes and goes on and he tells us in verse 41, So they, the apostles, went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They had just been flogged, beaten. And what did they do? They rejoiced. They rejoiced. And then it says in verse 42, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They were told by the Sanhedrin, don't preach in his name. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Quit teaching those things. What did they do? Beat us. We're going to go rejoice and continue to tell people about him. You know this had to drive the Sanhedrin nuts. What's wrong with you apostles? We just beat you. You should whine and complain and attack us. But how did the apostles respond? They rejoiced. They rejoiced. What's wrong with these Christians? Why are they rejoicing over the fact that they are suffering for Christ? A council of Sanhedrin, they were filled with ignorant men. They just didn't get it. They were hostile to the truth. They rejected the truth of God's word. And then we see this even in our day. If these spiritually ignorant people, they make fun of our Christian faith because they despise it. They despise it. And why do they despise it? Because they're spiritually ignorant. They're hostile to the truth. They want to be their own God, and they don't want to submit to anyone in their life. They love self. They want to be their own God. And they can't stand it that we would submit to God and His authority. So what do they do? They make fun of us call us names. They, they slander us. Make up things about us. Call us evildoers. Just like they did with our Savior. And why do they do this? Because they are spiritually ignorant. That's what Peter is talking about here. And so not only are they ignorant in the sense of spiritual hostility toward the truth, but Peter also describes them as foolish men. These are foolish men as well. What does he mean by this? Well, this here describes their character as those who act without reason. They are those who act without reason. They are unreasonable people who are senseless and will even use unreasonable accusations to attack believers. Think about this. The, the Bible calls these persecutors foolish people. There is no fear of God in them. And therefore, they act out in unreasonable ways with unreasonable accusations. I mean, imagine rejecting a person because he teaches love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and submission and care for others. Considering others more important than yourself? Teaching eternal life instead of eternal death? And all of these biblical truths that God gives us in His Word. I mean, to us, it, it doesn't really compute. Why would you reject someone like that? Why would you reject someone who's teaching all of those things, who believes all of those things? yet that's what these foolish people do. 
and they persecute those who stand on the truth of God's word. But what is it that silences these spiritually ignorant and unreasonable persecutors? Peter says here that it's not our teaching that will silence them. It is our what? Our good deeds. It's our good deeds that will silence them. Doing right. And listen, it may even take some time for this silence to come about. Our good deeds may not even silence them right away. Especially in the world that we live in now where someone can post something about you and it'll, it'll go viral in a matter of minutes and out it goes. And once it goes off, it's out there. And it's hard to get it back. But what will silence them? Our good deeds will silence them. And it may not happen right away. But eventually, if we act out with godly behavior, the truth will come out and the persecutors will be silenced. Why? Because time and truth go hand in hand. Time and truth go hand in hand. The truth will always be revealed. Just give it time. Again, it may not happen right away. They may not be silenced right away. But eventually they will. Eventually they will be silenced. And we silence them by doing right. And specifically in the context here, it's submitting to the government and obeying the laws. That is what will silence those who slander us. And that's why submission to the government is so important. It's showing the world that we are not against the world. We're not against them. We don't hate the world. We don't hate the authorities who are over us. We're called to love them. To love them. To, to pray for them. To want the best for them. And ultimately for them to be saved and to come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we can do this by living a life of submission and keeping our behavior excellent as we live in this unbelieving world. And so that is the command, the motivation, and then the reason for submission. Let's move now on to our fourth point, point number four, the character of submission. The character of submission. Look at verse 16. Notice what Peter says there. He says, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. You see, if we're going to maintain any kind of credibility among unbelievers, the character and attitude in our submission is important vital it's very important so Peter lays out here for us what this looks like now in our English Bibles we see this word act notice that there the beginning of verse 16 if you have the NAS in the NAS you'll see that word act is italicized what does it mean it means that the translators have provided that for us, that it's actually not there in the Greek, but the translators have provided that for us to try and help us to understand what the author is saying. In the Greek, that word act there is not in that verse. In fact, there is no command here in this verse. There is no command. Peter's describing here how our character and conduct are to be as believers who live among a hostile world. And as we look at this verse here, verse 16, we're going to see three aspects of our submission that help us understand our submission better. This is how you and I are to view ourselves as we submit to the government. 
And as we look at these three aspects, what we're going to do is we're going to supply the main verb, which is back in verse 13. You see that word submit there in verse 13? That's the main verb. That's the main command that then runs through these verses here. And so we're going to supply that main verb there in this verse. So notice what Peter says there. Number one, we are to submit as free men. We could say it that way. Not just act as free men, but we are to submit as free men. Because submit is the main verb there. That's the main command. Now, what does Peter mean by this? I mean, if I have to submit to the government, then how can I be free? Well, the the freedom that Peter's talking about here is not in the sense of being a free citizen. It's not what he's talking about. What is his freedom that he's talking about here? He's talking about freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. It's spiritual freedom that Peter's talking about. You see, a person is either a slave of sin or they have been set free from sin. It's one or the other. You're either a slave of sin or you've been set free from sin. If you're an unbeliever, you are a slave to sin. If you're a believer, you have been set free from sin. In fact, we see this in Romans 6.6 6, where Paul says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves. At least not to sin. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8.31. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Free. The truth will make you free. Then in John 8.36, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And remember what Paul told us in Philippians 3. Where is our citizenship as believers? It's where? In heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Peter even says back up in verse 11 that believers are aliens and strangers. We are aliens and strangers here. Because this is not where our citizenship is. Our citizenship is in heaven. So Peter here is not talking about political freedom here, but he's talking about spiritual freedom. And in what what sense then are you and I free? Well, because we've been born again, we are free from the law of sin and death, as Romans 8.2 tells us. We're free from sin's condemnation, as Romans 8.1 tells us. We're free from the curse of the law, as Galatians 3.13 says. We are free from the bondage to Satan as we are no longer under his control. And we're free from death's power. We are free from death's power as we see in 1 Corinthians 15. We have victory. Victory over death. So as those who have been saved, we no longer belong to this world, but we've been saved out of this world. We now belong to Christ, and we are spiritually free in Him. And yet, as those who live in this world, this spiritual freedom that we have does not free us from our duty to submit to the authorities who are over us. In fact, we submit because we are free in Christ. We submit to the governing authorities over us because we are free in Christ. So we can see that first aspect there of submission, that we submit as free men. Then there's a second aspect of this submission, is that we submit and do not use our freedom as a covering for evil. We are called to submit and not to use our freedom that we have in Christ as a covering for evil. 
You see, you can hear the argument here, right? Can you hear the argument? I am free in Christ, so therefore I don't have to do what the government tells me to do. And remember who Peter is writing to here. He's writing to believers who are under persecution from Nero. The king. The authority in the land. The Roman emperor. They are under persecution there. And so Peter says, here, you are free. You're free in Christ. And so somebody could then say, oh, well, since I'm free in Christ, I don't have to do what the government tells me to do. In fact, you even hear this argument today from so-called Christians regarding paying their taxes. I'm not going to pay my taxes because government is not the king of my life. I submit to God. Well, if you submit to God, then you submit to the authorities. Submit to the government. Because that's what the king tells us to do. That's what God tells us to do. And Peter's saying here is that you are free in Christ. However, you cannot use that freedom as a covering for evil. You must still submit to the government because not submitting to the government would be practicing evil. That word covering there indicates a a mask or a veil that would be used to cover up some kind of evil. Essentially using your Christianity as a reason to not submit to the governing authorities. You're going to use your freedom in Christ as a believer in Christ as a veil, as a covering for the evil. The evil of not submitting to the government. And what Peter's saying here is that you cannot use your freedom in Christ as a cover-up or an excuse for breaking the laws of the government. You can't do that. In fact, one commentator says, liberty does not convey license. Liberty does not convey license. Your liberty in Christ doesn't give you a license then to go and do whatever you want to do. In fact, listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. Don't use that freedom that you have as an opportunity for the flesh. To indulge in the things that the flesh wants to do. Which does the flesh want to submit? Does the natural man want to submit? There's the battle, right? Ugh. Submit. It's almost like a curse word today. People don't want to hear it. They don't like that word. But we should be people who embrace that word. We should embrace it. Don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Just because you're free in Christ doesn't mean you're free to act out as you want to. You aren't free to act out in the flesh. You don't have that kind of freedom. What Peter is saying is that as one who is free in Christ, you cannot claim that you don't have to obey the government. In fact, by doing this, you would be bringing disgrace upon Christ and upon the church who belongs to Christ. Peter says here, don't do that. Don't do that. So what do we do? Look at the end of verse 16. There's a third aspect of submission that we see here, that we submit as bond slaves of God. We are to submit as bond slaves of God. And I love this because it almost sounds contradictory here, right? It's like, it's, it's paradoxical, paradoxical here. You might look at this and say, wait a minute, Peter, I thought you had just said that I was free. And he did. He did say that right at the beginning of verse 16. Act as free men. Submit as free men. You are free. You're free in Christ. But listen, you are only free because you are a bond slave of God. 
You're only free because you're a bond slave of God. One commentator says, Christian freedom consists not in freedom from a master, but in the voluntary submission to God as our rightful master. Now, notice this word here, bond slave. The word bond slave there in the Greek is the word doulos. And it's a, it's a different word from just a normal servant. In fact, if you look at the beginning of verse 18, notice what Peter says there. He says, servants, be submissive to your masters. That word servants there is a different Greek word than bond slave back in verse 16. It's a different word that Peter uses. But here he says that we are bond slaves, we are slaves, doulos of God. It's not just a a normal servant of God. A servant was someone who was hired. But Peter is saying here, you are a slave. And a slave was not someone who was hired. A slave was someone who was owned. A slave was someone who was bought and owned. We think about this in our American Christianity today. We, oh, well... You mean, uh, I don't belong to me? You mean, I'm owned by someone else? If you're a believer in Christ, you are. You've been purchased by God. You belong to Him. You're not just a, a hired servant of God. No, you are owned by Him. You belong to Him. In fact, one, one commentator speaks of, of a slave and says the, the word here for slave portrays one whose will is completely swallowed up in the will of his master. It portrays one whose will is completely swallowed up in the will of his master. And we then look back at verse 15 and we go, well, what is God's will for me? Well, Peter just told us in verse 15. This is what God's will is for you, to submit to the government and do what is right. So as a slave of God then, we should be completely swallowed up in the will of our master. Saying, okay, master, what is it that you want me to do? I will do it. That must be our heart. And when God says, submit, then we say, yes, master, I will. I will. Not begrudgingly. Not with disdain for submission, but with an attitude of joy and willingness saying, yes, Lord, I will submit. Because that's what you've commanded me to do. So to be be a slave of God is more than just being his servant. We are God's possession. And we belong not to ourselves, but we belong to him. Fully and completely to him. We are his slaves. You see, you have freedom in Christ. But your freedom only comes because you are a slave of Christ. And therefore, as a slave of Christ, we do what our master tells us to do. William Barclay said this. I I love this. Listen to what he says. He says, Christian freedom does not being free to do as we like. It means being free to do as we ought. Mm. Not a whole lot of amens on that one. Should I read it again? Christian freedom does not mean being free to do as we like. It means being free to do as we ought. That's what we've been called to do as slaves of God. To do what we ought to do. 
And what ought we to do? Peter says right here, submit to the government. That's what you ought to do. John MacArthur said, freedom in Christ and citizenship in the kingdom of God in no way permits believers to abuse or disregard the standard conduct God has established for them on the earth. Because we have freedom in Christ, it doesn't mean that we get to just go live our lives however we want to live our lives. No, we live our lives as slaves of God, completely submitted to His Word. And when God tells us to do something in His Word, we say, yes, Master, and we do it. God has given us certain commands as those who live on this earth. One of those commands is that we submit to the government. Because we're slaves of God, we listen to Him and we do what He commands us to do. And listen, let me remind you, this is something that is not burdensome. This is not a burden that God has laid upon us to submit to the government. How do we know? First John 5, 3 tells us that Christ's commands are not burdensome. None of his commands are, which means even submitting to the government is not burdensome. fact it's freeing because we're living exactly how God has created us to live exactly how God desires for us to live which means listen to this church there is joy in obeying God's commands there's joy in that there's joy in doing God's will Look, do you want to have joy? Submit to the government. Obey God's word. Look, I don't want you to leave this morning feeling burdened like, oh, I have to obey the government. Fine, I'll do it. That's not the godly attitude. That's not how we should respond to this. I want you to walk away with a joyous attitude that says, I ought to do good deeds and I ought to submit to the governing authorities who are over me. I might disagree with them, but you know what? I will willingly submit to them. Why? Because that's what my master tells me to do. We do it with a heart of joy. And when we do that, we're walking in the will of God for our lives. And anytime we're walking in the will of God for our life, there is great joy. There's always joy in that. And even if it means that we have to disobey the government because they tell us to do something against our God, We can still rejoice like the apostles did. Rejoice. It's these men who were persecuted and flogged. But they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer for Christ, for their master, for their king. And listen, as we, as we live in submission and do good deeds in our lives, we will never know whose life we are impacting. We'll never know. There may be someone in your life right now who is slandering you for being a Christian. But they're watching. They're watching everything that you do. They're watching to see how you respond. Will you respond in a Christ-like manner? Or will you respond in the flesh? They're watching. And as we respond in a Christ-like manner, you never know how God is going to use that to win them to himself.
as you continue to live a life of doing right, doing what God commands, you may silence those who slander you. Or better yet, you may even win them over to Christ as Hudson Taylor did. Well, there's one more point. One more point here, what we will call the scope of submission found in verse 17. And here Peter gives us four practical commands and what it looks like to live a life of submission. And notice one of those, the very end of verse 17 is honor the king. What does it mean to honor the king? We'll come back next week and you'll find out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these commands that you've given us in your word. Lord, we thank you for the grace of government, leaders who rule over us, who are authorities in our land. Father, we know that it is you who has ordained government. Lord, we see what your word tells us to do, that we are to submit to them. And we do this voluntarily and willingly because ultimately we submit to you as our king. Father, help us to go out into this world and to practice good deeds, living in submission to honor and reflect you, our King. To honor and reflect our Savior, Jesus Christ, who submitted himself to the will of the Father and went to a cross to die for us. Lord, what a, an amazing example that we have in Christ. Father, help us not to look to our own selves, to our own reasoning, but help us to fix our eyes upon our Savior, our King, Jesus Christ, and to model Him, and to live for Him as we live in this dark world, this evil world around us. Lord, we know that You are the sovereign King, and we thank You that we can always trust in you and that your way is always right and that your way is always best we thank you for being such a great and merciful and gracious god we give you praise and glory in christ's name amen